Welcome to the Pardes Ayeka podcast on inspired parenting. Dasi Berkowitz, director of Becoming a Soulful Parent, together with Tova Lea Nachmani, Pardes faculty member, will be reflecting on three spiritual practices that can help us prepare for Rosh Hashanah and the high holiday season ahead of us. For source sheets to accompany this podcast and for more online Torah learning for the holidays, visit www.elmod.pardes.org. Hi everyone, this is Dasi Berkowitz. And this is Tobalea Nachmani. And we're talking about spiritual practices for soulful parenting. We're sharing some of our own spiritual practices as parents with the hopes that deepening of deepening our own experience of the high holidays. Tovale and I are particularly inspired by three paradigms that are written about in the High Holiday Liturgy, in the Machzor. So the first is tshuva, or personal growth. The second is tefillah, or prayerfulness. And the third is staka, or sharing our gifts with others. So in our first podcast, we talked about the spiritual practice of tshuva, taking steps toward becoming the kind of person and parent we most want to be. We floated an image of tshuva as a kind of inscribing ourselves Mm. in the book of life. Tshuva means that we get to write the next Mm. chapter in our own personal stories, in the book of our own lives. So the second spiritual practice we want to talk about today is tefillah, Mm -hmm. or prayer, or really prayerfulness. What would it mean, or what would it look like? What would it feel like to become a more prayerful Mm. person? And how can we bring that into our parenting? Hmm, that's such a great question, Tovalea. There are two paradigms that we've been thinking about together in preparing for this podcast. And the first one, the one that's really the most immediately accessible for me as a mother of little kids, is how I can learn about becoming a more prayerful person and more broadly how to have a, a more natural, kind of at ease relationship with a spiritual life from my kids. Um, so Lisa Miller, she's a PhD, professor, researcher, clinical psychologist up at at Columbia University in New York, and she has this amazing book, which I love, called The Spiritual Child, Um, and she talks about spirituality like this. She says, natural spirituality is a direct sense of listening to the heartbeat of the living universe, of being one with that seen and unseen world, open and at ease in that connection. And I know that one of my kids has ex- expresses her natural spirituality all the time in such a beautiful way. God is so present for her. Um, sometimes I had this one time when she was um, going to sleep at night, and I was singing to her the bedtime Shema. And um, with that was um, the song B'Shem Hashem, which talks about, you know, all of the kind of God's guardian angels, which are surrounding her at bedtime, and their names, Oriel, and, um, and Raphael, and, uh, and Gabriel, and Shrinat El, and we're kind of naming all of the, 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 um, the, these angels. And um, after I sing, finish singing the song, she, she just looks up around herself, she says, Good night, Raphael. Good night, Oriel. Good night, you know. Um, uh, you know, good night, all my angels that are surrounding and protecting me. And so I feel like she has such a vivid concept of God, godliness, surrounding, protecting her. Um, you know, you know, and, and the, just that that 
that uh, she has such a direct relationship. And she also, you know, it kind of shows up in these um, more sassy ways that she <laughs> presents herself to me. You know, I'm like, at the end of the day, I have all these grocery bags in my hand and I'm fumbling with my keys trying to open the door. Um, and I'm telling her to do something, you know, pick up the bags. And she turns to me with this pose on her face and, and a pose on her body and a look on her face. And she says, Ima, you can't tell me what to do. Only God can tell me what to do. <laughs> and I look back at her and I say, yes, but God is not going to be making you dinner tonight. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so there are all of these ways that like, you know, she kind of uses it in some ways, but it just shows me how close and how connected she is um, with this idea of God. Yeah, she has a very clear picture of mm-hmm. God in her world. A lot of children don't have as clear mm-hmm. a picture of a divine presence. And when it comes to prayer and prayerfulness, mm-hmm. they may not connect to it at all. Right, right. You know, I, I lead family prayer experiences at our synagogue here, um, Kilat Zion in Jerusalem. And I once overheard a child saying about what was happening in the synagogue. He said, um, you know, they aren't really praying at, to anything or to anyone, right? Like, they're just them <laughs> in the room alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and so with this child, I really, it made me think about how prayer, which I understand as a way to communicate with the divine presence, um, that it really requires imagination, right? Skepticism is real. Doubt is real. But imagination is also very real, too, right? Um, When we think about our own imagination or powers of imagination, sometimes I think about, you know, walking into a room to to lead a training. And um, and if I imagine that the people who are sitting in that room love me or care about me, or want the best for me, then I'll act in one way. I'll be, you know, open and outgoing and I'll take risks and I might feel calm and I'll want to share. But if I imagine that people aren't interested in what I have to say or, you know, don't really care for me, um, I'll act another way, right? I'll close up. I'll feel anxious. I might even withdraw. So the effect of what I imagine is really real, both psychologically and even physiologically, And so, too, with our prayer life and my prayer life and my belief in God, when I choose to live in a world where God is present, um, it affects me, right? It affects my ability to see struggle as an opportunity for growth or to slow down to become more present without fear that I'm missing out on something. Um, It enriches me. It enriches my life. And by seeing the different ways that children relate to God in prayer, it can inform and also clarify how I relate to prayer. That's such an evocative Mm. paradigm, Dasi, that we can learn to be prayerful in such different ways from different children. Mm. There's a second paradigm we've been thinking about together, which begins in a different direction. Um, This paradigm is from the top down. So just as our children can be a model for us, we can also be a model for them. Mm. When I reminisce about my own amazing parents, I realized that the values and practices I learned from them, actually the only values and practices I learned from them, were the ones that they authentically and consistently embodied. Hmm. And when you were, when your children were young, did you have a spiritual practice of prayer? I didn't. Hmm. I wanted to have one, but I really just did not know how. When our oldest son was three or four and he, he taught me about the prayer that we say after going to the bathroom, which he learned in preschool, I thought, wow. What a phenomenal moment of appreciating what it means to be able to go to the bathroom. I was so inspired by that that it led me to engage with prayer, literally. So little by little, I came to appreciate the words in the prayer and how the words led me to seek a deeper connection with God. I wanted my children to have the patience and the presence to wade through the wordiness of the traditional prayers and to seek out relevant pearls of light and wisdom and beauty the way that I was doing for myself. 
And what I know now is that I didn't know, what I didn't know then as a young parent, and I know now, is that I didn't need to have all the answers in order to show them how to become prayerful, in order to model prayerfulness to my children. I thought I needed to know, and I had to ha- like I right. had to have it down. I had to I had to just you know be this authentic model of that. Right. And in the words of Lisa Miller, again, I just needed to show up. Hmm. I just needed to show up to be with my own desires and struggles, and even talk about them in an open way with my children, instead of feeling as I did then inadequate hmm. to have the conversation at all. Yeah, and we just tell tell me a little bit more why you were so drawn to prayer as a spiritual practice in the first place you know what was really what were you yearning for you know mm. what was that about for you so I've never really expressed this before this is the first time mm. um, but I think for me the beginning of wanting a prayer life was because as a child I felt a deep deep sense of existential loneliness mm. I wanted to feel a sense of connection I wanted to feel that I wasn't bobbing around in life alone in the universe and deep inside, I think I just longed and yearned to feel that I wasn't alone. Mm. And as much as my parents were so wonderful and I had wonderful friends and they were there with me throughout my childhood, that just didn't feel like enough for me. Yeah. I wanted to feel a larger, more encompassing presence in my life. To this day, I still yearn to feel that encompassing wow. presence. So like with any spiritual practice, I spent years working on the spiritual practice of prayer. Mm. I'm still working on it. Yeah. Um, not unlike music. When I was a kid, I had a natural inclination toward music. I played the piano. Um, but if I had only gone to piano lessons once a week, mm. which I did, it yeah. was not enough. I had to practice every day. I needed to work at it. Yeah. I needed to make it a priority. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, just it's so evocative, that idea of the loneliness in your childhood. And I think also as parents, often we feel alone. Mm-hmm. You know, that sense of, I don't know what to do. You know, what should the next step be? Always. There's something that's presenting itself that <laughs> right. I have no idea how to handle mm-hmm. and how that, you know, that kind of yearning for that encompassing presence um, can be some kind of a, a comfort or, a, you know, a, a resource to us. Mm-hmm. You know, so wow. When I think about for me, um, really, what draws me to prayer as a spiritual practice, um, it's I think about prayer as giving me a mechanism um, to stop everything, even just for a few moments, um, or even more if if the time allows, and really to be in my life fully really in the like kind of thick concentrate <laughs> of what my life is, right? Not rushing through it. You know, I'm one of these mothers who always is thinking about the next thing and, you know, cleaning. We talked about this, right? Cleaning up the toys while we're playing with the child. Right. You know, like, I know I'm not supposed to and I actually should be in the moment and really enjoying True it. True confessions. I'm just, <laughs> absolutely. Um, but, uh, but there's something about that kind of... Um, that, that time and space away um, that can make you experience life um, a little bit differently. You know, I think about this also when I'm um, at synagogue on Friday nights and on Shabbat mornings. When I'm there with my children at synagogue and my youngest is sitting on my lap and she's not like bugging me every minute to, you know, give her more bamba or other random snacks that I have in my bag. Um, but when I'm really sitting there, and sometimes I do this, I also I kind of close my eyes and I kind of feel her on my lap. Um, I feel this really powerful concentration of time and space. Um, I'm aware how these ancient prayers that I'm singing um, or praying 
Um, and of being with her, I'm thinking about that sensation of being with her and how it's just kind of torpedoing me into the present moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm also just connected to all the other voices that are around and surround me. Um, so just that sense of like slowing down and not missing your life, really. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's one of the things that I long for. Um, and that prayer is kind of one answer for me. Yeah, that's a beautiful image. Oh. Really, you have your daughter on your lap yeah. in a synagogue. Um, so, you know, this is, it's fun to have a conversation with Tova Leia and for us to have this together, but we also want to invite you, um, everyone who's listening, um, to this podcast, um, we really invite you to put down what you're doing. Um, you might be washing the dishes or in the car or wherever you are in your life. Um, and to join us to think about for a moment in a really expansive way about two questions that can help lead us to even imagining ourselves as prayerful people. The first question is, what do you yearn for? What do you long for? What do you desire? Mm. And the second one is, what in your life is rushing by you um, that you want to bring more of your attention to? So we're going to pause for about 10 seconds, and Tovalea is going to time us here. Um, And you can shout out your answer. Um, Don't worry, we won't hear you. Um, Or if you want to, you can also just whisper it to yourselves. So again... What do you yearn for and what in your life um, is rushing by you that you want to give more attention to? Okay, 10 seconds. So we're still here. Your answer to either of those questions is the beginning, we think, really of becoming a more prayerful person. So we're going to transition back and um, think about once we're in touch with our own longings, our own yearnings, um, that we can actually experience the language of traditional prayers in new ways. And we decided as an exercise to each choose a few words of prayers that are particularly meaningful to us, that we carry with us. Um, What are those prayers? What are those lines? So the prayer that I chose for this exercise is the prayer that we say before the Shema. Mm. Um, the prayer that we say right before the Shema begins with the word Ahava, Ahavat Olam or Ahava Rabba, a love. And it speaks about how God loves us and has compassion on us mm-hmm. um, and has chosen us with love. And we say that right before we say the Shema. And for me as a parent, I think the lesson that I learned in the most painful mm-hmm. and powerful ways was the necessity to unconditionally love my children. Mm-hmm from my most challenging teenagers in our most critical and crisis-filled moments. Wow. <laughs> um, I think I learned as a result of those, not in those moments, but as a result of those moments, I really learned to let go a lot of my expectations and demands and the, the standards that I set up for my children. And I really just learned to, to be there with them, mm. to be there for them in their struggles. And I learned that what they need... And, in order to be able to respond to me with love and to be able to um, to feel loved, I needed to be able to just show them my unconditional love and compassion. Mm. And that prayer really speaks to me because the first thing we say after saying the Shema is that we that we are to love God. Mm. And for me, the only way my children, in a sense, learned to reflect that love back to me is when they felt it in a, in, in a real way in a real way, not just in my words, mm. but in the look wow. on my face um, and mm. everything about 
Wow. How you related to How them. How I related to them, yeah. It's amazing. It's like the, a beautiful sense of holding, you know, mm-hmm. it sounds like, you know, just yeah, almost the way that we're held mm-hmm. by God. And that's in, in that first Ahava Rabbah piece um, and that we can hold without having to do, you know, we don't have to right. run and have a whole list of things we have to do because right. of it. Right. But just um, And that, that they have being. to do to let go of some of those expectations mm-hmm. and to just say, okay, I'm just, I'm with you. I'm with you in your journey. Yeah. Wow. Beautiful. Thank you um, for sharing that. And I think that for me, when I think about the prayer that kind of is with me and I carry with me, um, it's it's the most simple elementary one that we start the day with, Mode'ani um, Lefanecha. And thinking about Rosh Hashanah, this is um, in our, at Kilat Zion, um, I learned this nigun or the, the melody of of Modani, this prayer of waking and thankfulness from, from our cantor Yair Harel, and he um, and we open the ark actually um, in the evening of Rosh Hashanah, and we sing this, and really it's so beautiful. counterintuitive yeah. because this is the thing we say first thing when we wake up is mm-hmm. Modani. Um, I feel moved to to sing just a, a, a moment of it now. We're taking risks on this yeah. podcast, <laughs> so it starts like this. Modani lefanecha melechai v'kayam Modani lefanecha melechai v'kayam So what I love about um, the Moda'ani prayer is that it's the first thing we say when we wake up in the morning. And I don't know, um, on Rosh Hashanah, it's on Erev Rosh Hashanah that we sing it. We have this tradition in our synagogue. But generally, every other day, it's the first thing we say when we wake up in the morning. And what I love about it is that often when I wake up in the morning, I think... That's usually the sound that comes out of my mouth. <laughs> you know? it's like, what do I have to do? What did I forget? Where am I? You know, there's kind of this disorientation mm-hmm. as we go from right. this place of sleep to this place of wakefulness. And right. a new Where do day. I have to be? How many how exactly. minutes are left? Did I oversleep? Exactly. Did I oversleep? Where are the kids? What's happening? Um, and there's something about this connection to transcendence that grounds me, mm-hmm. right? The sense that if I say moda ani, if I say thank you, God, to you, lefanecha, before you, mm-hmm. um, for returning to me, my soul, for like bringing me back to life and making me me again, you know, mm-hmm. with a purpose and a calling and something to do in the world. Um, I'm so grateful for that. Mm-hmm. And it's with just great faith in us and in me um, that that you enable that to happen every day. So the idea of just starting the very first words out of your mouth is thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think it's a beautiful, for me, it's a beautiful way to start my day. I carry it with me all the time. Whenever I see my children fighting, and th- this morning the kids are squabbling about nothing at all, in mm-hmm. fact, and I'm starting to just sing this and chant this to myself. And it was just a recognition of, you know, thank you that they have children. You know, I have children. Thank you that um, there are siblings here, that they have this relationship. They, they even have something to fight over. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also kind of calms the energy in my house I find when mm-hmm. I can be focused on it and meditating on it and and um, and sharing it also with my kids and modeling that beautiful you also mentioned to me that you say modani or sing modani before you even reach for your cell phone mm. that is 
quite impressive. Yes, yes, yes. It's happened a little bit less lately because I've had to turn <laughs> off my snooze. But absolutely, like even just that practice, right? It's We're talking about this spiritual practice, and it takes practice mm-hmm. to say even before we check in with anyone else or anything mm-hmm. else that's going on or whatever we missed, mm-hmm. that we just want to be grounded for a minute. So, um, as we know, Rosh Hashanah is coming up, um, and the shofar is sounded on Rosh Hashanah, and it's really our most ancient instrument of prayer. Yeah, I want to say something about the shofar yeah. that uh, is connected to the to, to the spiritual practice. Is that um, there's a blessing that the person who's blowing the shofar says, uh, and we all answer Amen to that blessing, mm. and the blessing is not for blowing the shofar, mm. but the blessing is a, about listening. Lishmoa kol shofar. It's about listening to the sound of the shofar. So actually mm. the first mitzvah, the first commandment that we have as Jews to begin our year is the commandment to listen. Mm. Um, and here's my spiritual practice yeah. around shofar. I just want to share this, yes. that when it's time for the shofar, which yeah. fortunately is many times during the Rosh Hashanah services, I just close my eyes and listen. Mm. I always close my eyes when I hear the shofar. I don't want to see anyone else. I don't want to think about is that, you know, mm-hmm. person blowing it. Is he doing a good job? Is he mm-hmm. doing a bad job? Right? I, I just, I listen with my eyes closed. I listen and listen and listen and I wait. I just mm-hmm. wait for what it evokes in my heart. Sometimes hearing the shofar gives me strength to believe in my journey, to take the next step of my tshuva. And other times it makes me feel how small and fallible I am. Mm. Sometimes it literally makes me cry. Wow, that's a beautiful image. Wow. I'll carry that with me, this, uh, uh, this Rosh Hashanah. Um, Tovaleh, you shared with me um, a piece from Rav Cook that's in his intro to the Sidur, and it's source number five um, uh, on our source sheets. And he writes about the experience of prayer. He says that prayer is not about imposing words onto, um, uh, onto our souls, right? It's not about an imposition. It's about listening to our innermost self. He writes that our soul is always praying. My soul, which in some way is an extension of God, or Boreo Lam, as my daughter said. The creator um, of the universe. Right, right. Mm-hmm. It's um, the creator of the universe. Its yearning is longing to reconnect to its source. So sometimes I think about this, you know, this idea of yearning and this kind of position of our soul. It's kind of like a homesick child at camp, right? Who's just, um, they're having a great time. They're busy in their life. They're enjoying camp. Um, but they're also in a place of longing, right? Longing for mom and dad, longing for the email, their letter, um, that will come in or, you know, that hug on, on, uh, on visiting day. Mm-hmm. Um, and that we all kind of have within us. And if we can open ourselves up to listen to it, that sense of longing also. Mm, beautiful. So in closing, we want to invite you, our listeners, to choose your own prayer, to choose a prayer or a line of a prayer, and let those words speak to your soul and see what comes up, and let your soul speak through these words, Mm. this Rosh Hashanah. Wow, Tovaleh, thank you so much. That's a beautiful idea to end with. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this Pardes Ayeka podcast on Inspired Parenting. For more about this podcast and other offerings from the Pardes Online Learning Channel, visit www.elmod.pardes.org.